This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well, especially as it's my birthday tomorrow. <gasps> Happy birthday, nearly. That's so exciting. <laughs> Big swim planned for the morning. My, my swimming friends don't quite realise how far we're going tomorrow morning. But it's your, on your birthday, you're allowed to do your birthday set. You make it up and they don't get to complain. That's exactly <laughs> right. So 51 somethings. 51? Oh. <laughs> That's going to be really good. And who are we introducing today? It is my absolute great pleasure to introduce freshwater ecologist Dr. Mike Joy. Um, Mike, uh, well, Mike can speak about what he does, but um, and I've been following his work for a long time and um, he's so well regarded in this space. And it's a real honour to have you here today, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Where are you, Mike? Uh, I'm in Paikakariki. We had somebody else from Paikakariki. Who was that? <laughs> did, sure, yeah. Did and Taylor. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, but there's some fantastic. Uh, we got a great little village here, and um, yeah, some really, really cool people in in Paikakariki. So, how was lockdown for oh, you? Oh, well, this was the. This was the ideal place for to be locked down was in Paikakariki because we had the we had the beach and 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 it was so neat the 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 streets the kids took over the streets and no cars no road noise lots of bird noise and kids playing and all the nice sounds that you like to hear and I know I know we were really privileged to you know to have lockdown in a place like this but man it made me realise how what we're missing out on with this radical crazy world that we live in at the moment and we we forget the important things and yeah so um it was it was a nice place to be for lockdown and were you working through lockdown yeah yeah i've got lots to do and i can unfortunately most of my work is is tapping on a keyboard these days and um getting angry so i can easily do that at home what were you getting angry about during the lockdown oh, I... Oh well, I well actually no. Lockdown was a chance to feel really hopeful, and um, it, we felt so hopeful that a bunch of people that I know all got together and we started up this thing called Better Futures Forum, and we were all excited and thought, wow, this we really can change, and all it takes is something like this, and the world can change, and we were so full of hope, and um, and then yeah, the anger came lately later when we just back into our old ways again and, and, and nothing changed, you know. But it did show us that we can do stuff if we really set our minds to it. 
Yes, yeah. And it, it also showed me that, um, you know, as I guess I, I sound like um, a bit precious, but as a scientist, especially a freshwater one, we basically, the government ignores us when it comes to scientists say that the limit should be one milligram for nitrate, for example, and the government says, oh, we'll make it 2.4. And so it was it was to see them actually listen to the science and make a decision straight off that, you know, the scientists were right and we're not going to argue with them, we're just going to do it, was, was great to see. But it's a shame they can't extend that to the rest of the stuff. But we can point to it. We can point to yeah, it and say, look, yeah, look, right. look, 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 that worked yeah, for you. I, I, I have written a few op-eds and things where I have pointed to that and said, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. So while you might have been a bit disillusioned about that better futures, that that we did return back to, to business as usual, are you somebody who does see a, a better future? Oh yeah, I think that um, I think lockdown gave us a glimpse of the better future. I think the hardest thing to get across to people is that we, the way we live at the moment, is radical. It's not radical change we need. It's to realise that what the way we live, you know, there was there's been roughly fifteen hundred generations of humans, and and you know only a few of those generations have been living this crazy lifestyle like this, and so. Um, yeah, trying to get that message across is the hard bit and that we have no future living like this. We have to change how we live. And lockdown was a great glimpse of how it could be a much better world than what we have at the moment. We went down the west coast of the South Island last week and the place is empty. So there are clearly people who are, who's, are committed and invested in things which aren't going in the short term going to happen and so this for them that is a radical change that, that we're expecting people to to make but i think you're right that most people that are certainly most of the people that we've spoken to have said words to the effect of oh well actually it's a bit embarrassing but for me lockdown was great mm. and that's kind of everybody has said that yeah, well, I know. But if you ask people, you know, when they say they're going on holiday, they'll say, oh, we're going to get away from it all, you know. And and you go, well, hang on a minute. If if you want to get away from it all on your holiday, then why are you in the all in the first place? We should we should get away from it all permanently and drop all this rubbish that we do. You know, I, I keep thinking about how people, if you say, um, oh, how are you going? Oh, I'm really busy. Um, it's, it's like a badge of honour to be really busy. And, and it's being busy that's that's got us into the problems that we've got. We, we need to learn to slow down and degrow. That's going to be the, the, the bit where we kind of celebrate taking it easy. We celebrate the people who do good things in society that don't make lots of money and stop giving knighthoods and respect and you know, to people who gather the most stuff and, and, and calling them winners and the rest of us losers. We have to switch that completely. The losers are the ones with the big, stupid-looking cars and boats and houses and things. And the winners are the people who who um, don't destroy the environment to make their life worthwhile. And that's, man, that's a radical shift to happen, but I kind of feel like it, it's starting to happen. I think one of the ways that it's starting to happen is that the well-being that the government started talking about however many budgets ago it was, three, four mm. years ago, um, and people kind of 
got it on an academic level, but then quite quickly it returned back to a, but show me the money. Yeah. And oh, I think the right. pandemic, I mean, the pandemic has been yeah. an opportunity to actually see, to see that this well-being thing has got legs. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we've got to haul them up on this. It's like the words climate change, you know, they throw it around every other sentence. But, but if you look at what we've actually done at zero, we've done nothing about the climate. All we've done is increase our emissions. And we just, I just saw a poll that's been done, uh, a, a measure of climate action for a bunch of countries in the world. And we're at the bottom of the list with a zero having done nothing. And, you know, there's a, there's a few other countries with us, but so we've got to get them to stop throwing around words like well-being and, and climate adaptation and stuff and actually start doing something because it's such an easy thing for politicians to use the word to pick some date in the future and say, yes, we'll have it done by then or we'll do it by then. We've got to somehow get them to actually do something right now. That's the that's another challenge for us. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Don McGlashan Rain. Why this one? Oh, I just have always loved Don's music, but this is sort of really evocative kind of way of using music to um and it's one of um Honey Tufari's poems that he put to music. So a bunch of musicians put Honey Tufari's uh you know poems to music and I love Honey's um poetry as well, so it's a beautiful combination. Sound you make 
when the wind draws There's something special smell of you When the sun cakes the ground if, if I should not Like you were saying before the break there about having some date in the future on which things happen and and, mm. and getting from there to action. And I thought for a long time that it's almost unfortunate that climate change doesn't start next Tuesday. Um, but then some people <laughs> yeah. have said, well, Tuesday would just rush past and we wouldn't do anything about it. So it wouldn't actually solve anything. But I think that the pandemic did give us that sense of urgency that you know, it had to be closed down mm. by Wednesday. Mm, mm. Yeah, I know. I just wish, I wish something would happen that would trigger us here. I, I've been talking to some friends in North America, and that big heat wave and fires they just had very recently there has really got to them. You know, that it's just like a sudden. Uh, you know, people just all thought they were going to die. It was so hot, and 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 all the systems started breaking down. You know, the uh, even in places in in Canada you know the the public transport all stopped working because it was too hot they couldn't run and you know people really got it that um you know that, that this is this is actually happening so i suspect it's going to take something calamitous like that and to actually get us to 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 move you know and i don't want that to happen i don't want horrible things like that to happen but i suspect knowing humans and human nature, that will have to be something that's right in front of us before we move. We um, here in Whakatane had the Edgecombe floods, which flooded a town that shouldn't have been actually built. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had Fakari that killed people who shouldn't have been on an island because all of the warning signs of an eruption were there and it was actually erupting. Yeah. Um, and then we had COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we still, <laughs> after all of that, nothing yeah. has changed. It, yeah, it, I know. We're, we're pretty stupid, aren't we? <laughs> oh, we're so stupid. <laughs> how, do yeah. you, how do you move people from that position? Yeah, oh, I suspect that's that, that Maru, it's that, uh, it's the power of capitalism, isn't it? Like, we, we know, you know, I look at all these places around New Zealand, and it's the same in Christchurch, the liquefaction zones and the earthquake there. If you go back and look at the reports from when they started the developments, the, the engineers or geologists all said, no, you can't build here, this is a wetland, don't build houses here. But the developers would push and push and push at the council and everyone will go, oh, but there's a housing crisis and we need to build houses. And suddenly you go, oh, all right, then we'll let them do it. And you, there's so many examples around New Zealand of that. And and that's just the power of of, of um, capitalism. And, and that's maybe our biggest problem that we have to get rid of is that is, is that that part of capitalism that drives idiotic behavior like that for profit. I think a lot about that, um, you know, look at the statistics at the moment around uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication that our children are taking mm. just to be able to get up and, and go to school in the mornings. And I find it really alarming. And I've given some thought to why that is happening. And I wonder how much of it is this barrier. Like if you imagine a wall and the first brick is called climate change and the second brick is called the the change of the the future of work and the third is called um, impending economic collapse like mm. these are this constant negative messaging that's in the media yeah. all the time that completely surrounds our children um, yeah. every time they open a book or turn on a, anything on there's there's all this stuff and how do they imagine themselves over that wall into a future mm. oh no i agree Maru. I, I don't know how kids i mean when i think about when i was a kid and anything and everything seemed possible the world was looked like just a great big opportunity and yeah it must be so hard for these kids although whenever i talk at schools and i meet them they seem i always end up feeling positive but maybe i just see a selection that are really onto it and are doing something i think once kids start doing something about the problem then suddenly they feel empowered by that and but yeah, I think that the drug use and all that kind of thing is a symptom of, of like climate change is a symptom uh, and all these other ecological disasters that are just a symptom of the way we live and the crazy, you know, world that we uh, overpopulated, over overpowered, um, speeding up world. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just uh, a horrible but um, real kind of um, symptom of this, of this decline. And you know, that's when I get frustrated with government response to these things is, well, we'll put more money into health, you know, um, you know, like, which is means more counsellors or something like that. So it's more ambulances at the bottom of the cliff and no, you know, it's going, right, the actual cause of all these problems is this. Let's do something about this rather than trying to fix it up at the bottom. And, and you know, you know what it's like. I mean, a dollar spent at, on a fence at the top will save you $500 worth of trying to clean up the problem at the bottom. But but capitalism doesn't work thinking like that. It always, it always thinks about now, not later. 
imagine if we put some of that money into developing really uh, cool science programs for kids where they were mm. actually able to start making change. Give yes. them a bit of wetland where it's their responsibility yes. to care for it yes. and restore it. You know, like there's yep. so many cool things that yeah. we could do yeah. with that money that would make mm. a positive change. Yeah, and that you also get that positive side of that where um, kids get connected with nature again too, you know. Well, not just kids, but all of us are so, um, you know, distant from reality you know food comes from a supermarket and water comes out of a tap and you know like there's that complete disconnect from the reality and and so yeah having kids involved in doing stuff like that will connect again and make a huge positive i mean it's there's plenty of science around to show that that restoring that connection is so good for human health as well are we making a positive difference on our freshwater ecology are we are we getting are we going in the right direction no no we're not we're not we're, you're supposed we're, to say yes just... and be a positive thing there <laughs> well I'd, I'd love to but i and i will jump up and down and yell as soon as something positive happens but all, all we get is this um kind of compromise all the time but it's always compromising in favor of the polluters never in, in favor of the environment and and so yeah all i see is just endless uh meetings and talking and reports and 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 then nothing nothing changes we just everything you it's just like climate change you know the pollution of our waterways in the same way we talk about it all day long but we keep growing the pollution the the industries that drive the pollution and so the net effect is we're, we're worse off every day bubble sprite of the forest of orakanui Dunedin's favorite goddess tahu mackenzie I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proven to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i know that for all of us this last more than a year has been a very challenging time it's so important that we be kind to ourselves and to each other and to acknowledge all the changes and triumphs and challenges that we've experienced together in this time to know that for everyone there is an individual universe being experienced and this individual universe of course contributes to the collective reality. I know that part of the real roller coaster of this global pandemic has been reinterpreting and re-understanding our sense of what it means to be free, what it means to have freedom and we've had to change our behaviour so much in this time over and over again in different ways and not only in our day-to-day -day lives but of course on a longer term scale as well and I think for everybody this has been really tough. It's so important that we find ways that we can feel free even when these 
long-held beloved freedoms that we've taken for granted are no longer possible. And how do we understand freedom in a larger sense? Of course, like all life, we are free. We are free to change our course, change our trajectory, change our perception, change our focus. We are always free to reframe and recalibrate in order to support ourselves and each other better. There's also great freedom, of course, in our beautiful, miraculous bodies that when we can move down from the head and reconnect with our physical selves, often a greater sense of freedom can be ignited, that we're free to experience the world with our senses, that we're free to be present in this moment with our breath, that we have the power to free ourselves from stress and anxiety by practicing self-care. And I know that for all of us, if we have the opportunity to exercise and raise our heart rate, even for a short time each day, the sense of freedom can be rediscovered. So I really hope that for you, you're finding ways to care for yourself and feel free despite these changes having taken place. We're very lucky here, of course, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that we are experiencing relative freedom from our loved ones around the world. A wonderful aspect of this, of course, is that we can come together and we can celebrate together in group, whilst, of course, observing protocols to keep each other safe. But too, in these interactions, there is a sense of freedom that, as a species, innately, we crave coming together and celebrating together, learning together, teaching together, coming together to share our understandings of the world. And the more we do this, of course, the more we learn and the further we can go. So I really hope for you, you've been enjoying time with your loved ones and feeling the gifts inherent in the relationships in your life. Knowing that you are free, that you have a choice in terms of how you contribute your energy and I think everyone can understand at the moment if we need to do things differently. For me having these five minutes with you is so helpful. Thank you and I look forward to talking to you again soon. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Mike Joy. Mike, do you ever get up to Whakatane up, up these ways? I, I, the last time I was up there was last year, and um, Tina Nata, who's just the most fantastic person I know and a friend, she organised a bunch of us to of scientists, actually, um, including some uh, climate change experts, to to talk at a conferency thing in, in Gisborne and then visit a couple of marae up the coast and we finished up in, in Hicks Bay on the marae there and just I love that we just had a fantastic time and met the best people up there so I saw there's a whole other world uh, where, where good stuff is happening and it's not overrun by you know this stupid model where, where I can see I can see hope for our future and the way people live up the east coast yeah. There's um, some people here in Whakatane actually um, a couple of times ago when Sam was up, I took him out to introduce them 
and they um, noticed they were just walking on the neighbouring bit of land to where they live, or excuse the noise of my dog in the background, um, <laughs> walking on the neighbour's land and they uh, noticed some uh, kokapu that couldn't, it was, there was a, per, a perched culvert, no right. way for the kokapu to be able to move. And so they ended up buying the land, this whole piece of farmland, <laughs> and um, and built these incredible breeding pools. And every time there's a king tide, the, yeah. um, the, there's a flood of water comes into it and the, and all the alvas and the everything all just wash out. Oh, and it's an yeah. extraordinary yeah. place. So there are people who are really doing some cool stuff. And yes. so if you ever yeah. find yourself up here, I'd love to take you out to uh, uh, yeah. Shane and Marley and see what they're doing. Yeah, no, it's, I know. There's, that's the thing, you know, when, with all the negative stuff, the government is just hopeless. But like all good things, the change doesn't come from the top. It comes from the bottom. And we, 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 I can see all over the place you've got regenerative farmers that are kicking against the industrial system and doing the right thing. And you've got people doing restoration projects all over New Zealand and, and, and doing good stuff in spite of the government you know instead of with the government they're doing it in spite of the government and 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 organizations like doc actually slowing them down rather than helping them in the process so yeah it's good to see so what's it going to take to to put that on steroids to is there a leverage point where we can actually multiply that kind of action yeah, well, I think that, well, I'm actually talking at a conference, the Environmental Defence Society conference in Christchurch next week, and that's exactly what I'm going to talk about, is that to make that change happen, we have to level the playing field. So at the moment, we we have a very uneven playing field where we allow industries like intensive farming, dairy especially, to have huge environmental impacts and not pay for it. So that, the 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 downside of that is that if you want to do the right thing, then it makes it very, very difficult economically to compete when you're not, you know, when the other side's getting subsidized to do wrong stuff, it's very hard to come up and do the right thing. So we, we've got examples too now in New Zealand with Lake Taupo and Lake Rotorua, where we have paid, we as in we taxpayers have paid many millions of dollars to have intensive farming stop in those catchments to protect those two lakes. $140 million we've spent, you know, to, to pay for a bunch of farmers to get cows off their land to save those lakes. And why those two lakes? I guess because they're tourist attractions and, 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 but why I, you know, I just, my frustration is what's so special about them? What about all the other lakes, you know, and, and, and lowland lakes. And so, um, you know, my, my, thing I'll be hitting home on is is come on if you want good positive change to happen then you have to stop subsidizing it's the same you know at a bigger scale for climate change there's still governments all over the world including ours that are subsidizing fossil fuel extraction and production so how do we expect any positive change in the right direction to happen when we encourage the bad stuff and that's it's totally down to government to change that and they're scared of the power of the industry you know, they're scared of the of the oil companies and they're scared of the fertilizer companies in Fonterra and New Zealand and Dairy New Zealand have incredible power way above and beyond, you know, what they should have over government. And so we, we need to uh, start making a lot more noise and stamping our feet and protesting. And I think th there is a lot happening in the media at the moment around freshwater issues. Um, I think Kiwis have had enough 
and um, they are they are really kicking back. And 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 it's not anti-farmer because the farmers are, are caught up in the system as much as anybody is. It's the industries that are driving it. It's the fertilizer companies and the big dairy companies that are pushing bad practice and and poor old farmers are stuck there with the debt and the pressure and and you know the toughest job going as well as having the public of New Zealand starting to turn against them when it's it's not their fault it's the companies that they you know the industries that that are pushing them in that direction and I just wish they would you know start fighting back against their industries that they're shareholders in um, and you know they're, they're co-ops most of these things that are causing the problems so um, yeah I, I'm, I'm definitely not anti-farmer but I'm anti the harm that farming the way we do it is and that's what we need to change. Because it's too compelling a story we've seen over the last few weeks the howl of protest from from a group of farmers talking about oh. excessive regulation and, and, and so on. Yeah. I mean, it's an easy story for, yeah. for, for, for them to tell. It's, yeah, but I, I think most farmers were embarrassed about that. I don't think, I don't know how many farmers that actually represents. And and I do think if we don't change that, we, we, we're going to have, this is just the tip of the iceberg, having farmers. I mean, you know, um, fossil fuels are at the core of every industry in New Zealand. And if we start regulating, you know, the way we need to do or, or putting, you know, once the price of carbon goes up, the pressure that will go on these companies, you're going to have more and more marches, you know, and, and protests and things because people don't like having the, something taken off them or being told what they can or can't do, you know. So um, I don't think this is going to be the end of it. I think it's just the beginning of it. And if we don't have protests, then then we're going to be even worse off because we'll have the effects of climate change and polluted rivers and things like that. To me, it's a good sign when you have the polluters protesting. It, it means that we're actually getting somewhere. Rivers are an interesting beast in terms of them being, in terms of them as a metaphor for what's going on, because. It, it, you can use the the sort of the approach of it just sort of like it, you can sit watching a river go past all day and, and you don't really see the change that's happening. But also they're a sign of how unchangeable human systems mm-hmm. are in what should be a dynamic yeah. system. We were yeah. going to go to Westport last week, but we didn't end up going there. But Westport shouldn't be there. When you look at yeah. the <laughs> when you look at the maps yeah. of Westport and where the water was, it's clearly in the yeah. middle of a river. But that probably goes for just about every town in New Zealand. <laughs> Palmerston North, where I was, where I was studying. I mean, it's it's just a big, um, you know, it's a big outwash plain. The river, the Manawatu Rivers, moved across that plain and built that plain up, flood plain up, over you know forever, kind of millions of years. And and so you, then you go and plonk a, a town right next to it, and then you have to build stop banks to stop it from flooding, and then then the bed of the river gets higher and higher because the sediment builds up. So then you have to build up the stop banks higher and higher. And then you can't do that anymore because it has to be wide enough to do it. And the town's in the way. I mean, it's happened in the Mississippi River. You, you, and, and to a certain extent, the Whanganui, you just can't. And it will happen in Westport if it hasn't happened already. Insurance companies won't insure the houses. And, and you get this really dire outcome where individuals 
through no fault of their own, bought a house not knowing that some idiot had, had you know, way back had pushed past planning rules and things like that. So, you know, they end up being the, the you know, the loser out of this process. But it's going to happen with, well, I can see it happening right in my little town of Paikakariki. The, the, the sea is cutting away at the waterfront here. We are losing, I don't know, looks like metres every year from our um, from our dunes along here and houses all plonked along the waterfront. At least there's a road between them and the sea at the moment, and that will, that will be the first thing to disappear. It gets it gets cut out every now and again. Um, and and how much longer we'll keep throwing money at trying to stop it or stop rivers and and just go no we can't win this game. This this isn't this is you know people talk about the new normal. No, it's not the new normal, like that's a point in time. This is the new progression of getting worse. It's not like a point you get to that's a new normal. It's a, it's a, it's a process. It's a, it's a continuing uh, extreme weather situation where we've got to back away and, and stop wasting money trying to fight it because we will not win when it comes to fighting the sea or rivers.
Mike, you're talking about not being a new normal. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping for in terms of what has the COVID experience given us an opportunity for in terms of that? It, it certainly gave us a time to, to stop and think. And lots of people have talked yep. about return to, to normal. But other people are saying, no, let's treat it as a regeneration. And we are starting to see mm. some of those sorts of things. The, mm. I think the discussion mm. that's happening around the, the Milford Airport is particularly interesting. They're, they're seriously looking at what's going on in Milford Sound and saying, do we want this mass tourism? Is, 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 yeah, or- can, can it sustain this kind of level? I presume mm. that they'll back down and the airport will stay open. But at least the discussion's happening. Yeah, I, I, I look. I personally don't think that there is any future for tourism. And it's not just COVID that's going to stop it. It's the reality of of not being able to use the fossil fuels and the decline of fossil fuels. Um, you know, so we we're going to be we're going to be short of fossil fuels if we don't cut back anyway. So I, I don't see that as a so much of an issue. I think we have to face the reality that large scale overseas tourism is going to decline not waste any more money on that because the other learning from COVID surely was that interconnected world where we're dependent on you know all those car companies that couldn't make cars and things because that one part comes from some part of the world and they can't get it and that we need to simplify our, our supply chains and you know stop this farce of pretending to be feeding the world when we're not we're just feeding uh, bad health overseas because most of our milk powder either goes to as a filler for junk food and I mean most as an 80% of it filler for junk food or breast milk replacement it's not feeding the world it's it, it, it I'm sure it, you know I'm not just saying that it doesn't earn money you know you can get money from lots of bad things but the reality of the future will be much more localized food systems um, eating locally um, you know, and cutting it back on lots of those supply chains because we kid ourselves at the moment about our consumption levels because we don't include, you know, for example, all of the cars that we import, the 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 energy and the virtual water footprint. You know, virtual water is the water that was used in another country. Um, you know, that's that's embedded and embodied in those imports that we bring in, plus all the junk that we bring in that are in, in these big, you know, uh, warehousey places. Um, you know, th- that kind of stuff can't carry on because we just, we, we kid ourselves that because you only measure the footprint in your country and forget what's being bought in, uh, you know, smuggled in with all the goods we import, a lot more, more reality is going to come out about that. I work in the sort of water footprinting area, and, and much more awareness from around the world. You know, we use massive amounts of water here to produce milk powder, to produce milk, sorry. And then we use coal to dry the milk to get the water back out of it again, and we ship it off overseas. And, and so the water footprint and the greenhouse gas footprint, you know, you'll hear all that stuff about um, we're the most efficient producers of milk. But that's at the farm gate. That says milk. That's 2% of it gets drunk as milk, and, and the rest of it, you know, gets either turned and processed or the most of it dried with coal. So it has a massive footprint, but it's just the the way that we kid ourselves and companies kid us that we're doing a good thing. We have seen change over the last year, change at the societal level in response to, to COVID and, and beyond. 
What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? I think this, yeah, the stuff that we talked about, I hope that it sticks. Um, you know, I, I did an article uh, back in in, in, uh, in the middle of lockdown, wrote an op-ed for the Herald about my imagined new world. And, and it was, you know, kids taking over the streets again and, and that neighbourhoods connected again and we all connect with each other. We don't need to travel overseas and do all crazy things we do at the moment. The, the connections, and yeah, I mean, I think Mari will know this, but that you, you go up the East Coast and you see how a community should be and could be. I mean, I get a glimpse of it here in Paikak, but, um, you know, it, there's so many um, things that we're missing out on in this life that, um, you know, that, that will, will be so much fun if we can, you know, so much better lives for all of us if we bring it back again. I have some questions to end the show with, and not very much time, um, but we'll should do them anyway. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, pretty hard for me to see a success. I guess just getting the word out is um, just in the last couple of weeks, I've had a bit of a success with uh, getting uh, Stats New Zealand and Ministry for the Environment to, to admit that they're using some fake numbers around the natural level of nitrate in groundwater, um, highlighting how regional councils have um, been faking their data and, you know, it's not, it's, it's this crazy system where we have them reporting on themselves. We have this, you know, they have, they're required to put a state of the report, environment report out and, of course, they're in charge of the environment, so they pick the numbers that make them look good. So, um, yeah, I guess if that's that's the kind of sad wins, but that's that's what the ones I have to take really. Yeah. So we are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? Yeah. Um. I don't know. I think if and. It, a superpower. Is that a real one or an imaginary one? You can tell us what your imaginary one is if you like, but the real, <laughs> the, the one you actually uh, have. Yeah, well, the the real one, obviously the imaginary one would be to get everybody in the world to read a couple of papers that I could name that, uh, you know, just outline the, the reality of the situation that we're in and the reality of how much we'd need to change. You know, the scientists have worked it out. Um, you know, basically a 95% reduction in, in for us rich people in the rich part of the world, that 95% reduction in our consumption. So, you know, getting people to read something like that. Um, in, in reality, I guess my superpower, if I had have one, is just being able to see a bigger picture. I've always um, not been able to just concentrate on, you know, I started working on native fish. I couldn't just look at native fish without realizing the bigger picture of what's driving their habitat and then if you start looking at that then you have to see the global situation and when you start to see the global situation then you have to look at our history and our and our uh, evolutionary psychology to understand how we got here and why we act like we do so i think that's that's what we seem to be missing is people who can see connect all the dots and think in systems rather than in silos so yeah that's i think if i if that's it, if that's a power I've got, then that's it. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Uh, yes, yeah, definitely. Yep. I'm not. I'm not ashamed to say it either. I think we all 
we all have to be it's our rent for living on the planet and i can't remember who said that but our rent for living on the planet some famous person said it is that we is activism we all have to be active now and and start to fight for our future so what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning uh anger mostly <laughs> sort of frustration i i kind of i've if I've got something that I inherited some from somewhere, I don't know where, is a a sense of justice or more a, a hatred of injustice. And, and, you know, so when I see uh, extremely rich people doing really well by walking all over poor people and, and walking all over the environment to achieve that, then that, that sense of injustice drives me to want to write that. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or two? Uh, keeping my job, uh, basically. <laughs> We've got some funding difficulties and I really need to be able to live, uh, you know, to pay the bills to keep on doing what I'm doing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of on the verge all the time of going, uh, bugger this, I'm, I'm going to go. I've got a... I've got a 90-year-old sailing boat, Kauri sailing boat, that I that I, doesn't get enough attention, and and it's just one of these days I'm just going to bugger it and throw away. I'm going to so much pleasure pick up their cell phone and throw it as far as I can out into the ocean, and um, trash the laptop and all that kind of stuff, and and go get on the boat and and um, get back to reality again. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah be activist. Yep, yep. Um, you know, like I said, that's your rent now. You can't get out of it. Um, if we want to have any kind of a future, then you're going to have to fight and make noise and, and tell the government and tell other people and not avoid. Oh, there's this real thing. It's human nature. It's probably more developed in Kiwis than any other race that I know of where we kind of want to avoid uh com any serious conversation you know or argument sometimes you could call it i guess but serious you know thrashing out issues we all want to be really nice to each other and and sometimes that being nice kind of means we don't talk about the issues it's a bit like a family that has kind of some bad thing happening you know some dark secrets some kind of um you know, bad stuff that's happened to kids or something, and the and the and the thing that happens is nobody talks about it. You know, and and you and you never. Uh, Derek Jensen says this, and you don't, you don't, um, and then you're not allowed to talk about the fact that you don't talk about it. <laughs> you know, so we 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 never get anywhere because we won't talk about it because we're all trying to just pretend that it isn't happening and and kind of you know. So yeah, that that's what it is. Talk about it. Talk about it. Mawera. Mike, this has been absolutely amazing. Um, um, you have your contribution has been huge uh, in your professional practice, but there's just such a strong message in there, and I think that message, if we can get it to the children, we've got a chance. Yeah. No point. I've come to the conclusion there's no point wasting breath on trying to change the parents, but <laughs> educating the children and. Yeah. Giving the and like you said earlier, I think that that's the thing that I'll take out of this conversation as a reminder that we need to empower our kids with the solutions, mm -hmm. ask them for the solutions, enable them to actually go out and make that happen, and that's an amazing reminder. Thank you very very much for your time and those two papers that if, that you talked about. If you could send us yes. the name of those, we'll make sure we'll put them in the um, in the link. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll do.
Thank you very, Great. very much for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. these days oh keeping busy how about you oh yeah it's kevin isn't it what you call me kevin kevin isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> john mike mike, mike. <laughs> mike <yeah. laughs> oh how you doing i haven't seen you for oh how you doing i haven't seen you for oh how you doing i haven't seen you for it's quite a while, isn't it? Yeah, so what are you up to these days? Oh, keeping busy. How about you? Oh, you know. <laughs> so, uh, where are you living anyway? Well, you'd hardly call it living. I've lost my job. I'm having quite a few emotional problems. Well, Hamilton? Wellington? Palmerston North? Greyland. Well, <laughs> it's nice out there, eh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, how you doing? I haven't seen you for... Oh, how you doing? I haven't seen you for... You're married with a family and everything by now, eh? Oh, no, no way. Not me. <laughs> Still. Only a matter of time, eh? <laughs> nah. Yeah. Hey? <laughs> nah. Yeah. Hey? <laughs> nah. Yeah. Hey? Nah. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, Positive Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Front Lawns, How Are You Doing? And before that, we had Rhea Hall's Flow. I'm Samuel Mayman, Sawyer's Bayden, with Mawira Karatai in Fokatani and in Plakokoriki, Mike Jordan. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.